I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. This week, we sit down with Eric Hemingway, a general contractor who escaped the rat race and spent three years sailing the Mediterranean with his family. He's built financial freedom for himself, largely using a portfolio of self-storage facilities. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Eric, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Great. Thank, thanks for having me on. Of course. It's always great talking to you. So. <laughs> Excited to have you here. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Glad and to be here. A quick update. You just survived uh, the hurricane. Everything okay there? Yes. Hurricane Florence just came through two weeks ago. And um, yeah, so we're still in the midst of picking up the pieces. But yeah, doing okay. Thankfully, we made through okay. And a lot of other people you know, had a lot worse damage than we did. So we're, we're pretty grateful. Great. Glad to hear that. Well, listen, let's get right to it. So do you recall an aha moment for you when it came to real estate? Um, I think for me, it was, I've been in uh, real estate for, in some way or another, for probably 25 years. My dad and I started a business in Northern Arizona together, not in construction. It was a retail store. And after about a year, we, we realized that it wasn't quite enough to support both of our families. So I branched out and got into construction, started literally on the ground floor, sweeping out jobs and digging ditches and all that kind of thing. And slowly worked my way up to superintending and project managing. And then the guy that I was working with, he, he uh, had an investor who would come into town, buy some properties and, and then, you know, leave and we would build the properties and spec houses and that kind of thing. And it was then I think that it started clicking like this is this is a, a you know a way to make a real a, a decent living and it's uh, you know it's a need it's always going to be a need housing and that kind of thing and so in 2001 I left that company and started my own contracting firm and just started you know started kind of basic and did one spec and then eventually two specs and yeah so after being in construction for a little while I, I realized you know this is something I probably like to try on my own you know my thoughts were so I left that company and started my own construction company in 2001. And the thought was, you know, do a spec house, make a pretty good chunk of change off that, and then maybe take a couple, three months off and then do another one, you know, kind of do this thing. Well, it didn't take me long to figure out that in construction, it's really hard. It's a hard machine to stop and start like that because you don't get any loyalty from subcontractors and you just lose all your rhythm. So we started our business and just slowly grew it in the early 2000s. You know, just kind of thought we, we didn't really know the difference of spec houses, residual income, you know, passive income or anything like that. It was just kind of a, you know, a full-time job, really, you know, yeah. 12 hours, 10, 12 hours a day, five, six days a week, you know, that's kind of how it was. So, yeah. So that's kind of where you got your, your start and you discovered, yeah, it's really passive. Yeah. And you can pretty much just, you know, just <laughs> right, right. back and, you know, watch the checks roll in. So, yeah. So that was sort of a realization for you. And where did you go from there? So I think it was 2004 or five, you know, kind of, I'd been in it for about 10 years then, kind of burned out on, you know, just trading your time for dollars kind of thing. And that was right around when Rich Dad, Poor Dad came out. And I remember reading that and thinking, you know, the, the cash flow quadrant, 
you know, the employee side. I think I also read E-Myth. Yeah, maybe it's E-Myth Revisited, one of those uh, uh, editions. But are you working on your business? Are you working in your business? And especially as it related to real estate, like uh, in, in my mind, what I try to tell our kids is we, you you know, and everybody explains it differently, but there's track one where you're, you're working a great job or you're self-employed or whatever. It's the left side of the quadrant. You're either a, a, an employee or self-employed, but you're still working and, and getting paid, you know, for, for your work. And it could be great. You know, you could be a, a brain surgeon and make 300 grand a year, or you could be just punching the clock at, at a regular job or whatever, but you're still, even if you're getting paid really well, you're still trading your time for money. And I think it was kind of that shift where I thought, you know, let's try to make something that we get paid whether we work or not. And that was kind of the, the first, I had a few friends that said, you know, self-storage is really a cool business. It's a, you know, you hear all the, all the different ways to describe it. It's a cash cow. It's like a slot machine, you know, it's easy money or whatever. So I kind of just kept that in the back of my mind for a year or two and then found a piece of property that I thought would work well for storage. And so we started exploring that and actually putting numbers to it. And I wasn't really thinking like an investor then just thinking this looks like the next natural step. You know, I'm doing residential and I'd done a little bit of commercial development, small office buildings and that thing, that kind of thing. And I thought, well, maybe storage is, uh, you know, a good option. So this was 2004. We found a piece of property and then we had to go through the rezoning process and get it rezoned commercial and of course financing and gathering all my costs to build it, you know, as the general contractor and all that. So it was, it was, it was quite a road there, you know, probably a year and a half of, I think I probably spent at least two or three hours a day on some part of the project. But that was our first laying the groundwork towards something residual. Hmm. And you, let me see where to go with this. How did you end up, we're going to kind of skip forward here. How did you finance that first property? Did you bring in investors? Did you have some money? Right. Yeah. So we had some cash that we had done, uh, that we had built up from selling spec houses and, and doing some smaller investing and thought, well, you know, these smaller ones have gone well, you know, doing spec house. And we were doing like starter homes, 150, 200, maybe 150 to $250,000 sales price. And, you know, this is 10 years ago or 12 years ago or whatever, but thought, well, if we, if we can do good putting 20 or 30,000 into these projects, what if we put 150,000 into a storage project? You know, what, what kind of return would that be? And of course, the climate for financing was way different than it is these days. I had built a relationship with a with a community bank, and you know, I was expecting to get laughed out of there. I went in and I said, "What do you think about what do you think about a commercial project? What do you think about financing a uh, self storage?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, we'd love to do that. You know, bring me the details, and we, you know, we'd be happy to finance it." And that's pretty much how how kind of loose and informal it was then. And after that meeting, you knew they were going to do it. It was just working out the details, whether you're going to bring in 15% or 10% or, or 20% or whatever. But so I was, I was pleasantly shocked that, that he was willing to take the risk on us. And so we, we moved forward and started developing the, the storage. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to pop this into the here and we can stick it in somewhere in okay. the That's podcast, but can you explain what a spec house is? Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So, so we were developing spec houses and spec is short for speculative. So what we would do is buy a piece of property and we either had a house plan or we would design one for that lot. But after a while, we had a few different plans that we could use. And so maybe it was 13, 14, 1500 square foot house. So you're taking all the risk, right? You're, you're buying the lot and it's pure speculation. You're hoping that somebody, that there's going to be a customer to buy this house when you're done and ready to sell it. 
And we had done, I had done a lot of that with the previous company and it's, it's, it's like a custom home except for you just don't have a customer yet. So you design it, you build it what you think is going to sell. You know, it's going to appeal to the largest audience, decorate it, paint it, cabinets, countertops. Basically when the house is almost done, you put it on the market and then, you know, people that are in the market, they're either going to buy a used house or they're going to buy a new house and here's yours ready to go. And, and there you go. So, so, and it's like a lot of real estate, you know, you start with the end price in mind and work your way backwards. You know, we're going to, we know a 1500 square foot house is going to sell for 190,000, let's say, and we know it's going to cost us a hundred thousand to build it. And the lot is going to cost us 25,000 and, and it looks like we might make 30,000 on this project. Gotcha. So, so then it's yes or no. Then, I mean, it, it is risky because then of course, all the surprises along the way are on you. You know, if there's, you know, if you're, you run into a $10,000 bill to connect to a sewer or a septic system or whatever, then that's, that's, you know, that's on you, yeah. <laughs> it, which you, which you might not be able to recover from your sales price. So yeah. that's the, that's the risk factor that some people don't like. All right. So in regards to the self-storage facility, you know, you, you built that and then you just sat back and started counting your money, right? Exactly. <laughs> just like everybody said, it's easy money. So <laughs> no, we, uh, so leading up to the storage, it was probably, like I mentioned, a year and a half or so of doing our homework. And um, I think we had the property under contract for six months. It was vacant land and it was residential, but my offer was contingent on me being able to rezone it commercial because I wasn't, I couldn't close on the property with it w- without being able to do what I needed to do. So, you know, I think that's pretty normal for commercial property like that, especially if, if it's something that's been on the market for a while and you've got a seller that's, that's willing to wait it out with you that, you know, they're, real, they're willing to wait with that. You know, I had no problem closing on the property if, if I can, if I can use it for what I need to. And, um, so thankfully they were patient enough to, to wait with me through that. And then we closed on the property. And then 2006 was all the year of building the, the project. We actually started in January and we're open, open the doors in August 1st of that year. So mm. looking back, it was a pretty fast project for that size. It's, um, about 42,000 square feet total, six buildings of traditional drive-up self-storage, mm-hmm. and then a 5,000 square foot commercial building uh, that we have lease spaces, five lease suites for different tenants. We've had restaurants and hair salons, and we've got an insurance office in there now, and just commercial space for lease. We had to add that. That was one of the con- uh, the um, conditions of the rezoning is that they wanted the front zoned lighter commercial and and then the storage in the back just to kind of make it more visually appealing from the highway. So, gotcha. um, yeah. so yeah, so 2006, of course, as we know, was probably right at the peak and we opened the doors and I thought, you know, the phone's just going to ring off the hook and this place will be full in six months. And of course it ended up probably taking close to six years before it was actually what you would consider, you know, safely in the black. And uh, so that was very unexpected, but you know, hindsight, it was, we're glad we, we were able to, to weather that uh, time period and, and able to keep the property. So, so a little financing side of it, we, we bought the property with the community bank, like I mentioned, and then um, shortly after we refinanced it with a credit union and that's who's had the note, you know, all since then when we ran into, you know, after 2007 and eight, and it started becoming pretty clear that it was a, a, a pretty major recession. For example, if there was two or three subdivisions near our facility that we were counting on for our lease up, you know, as the, as they're selling houses, these folks are going to need storage. Yep. Well, all three of them went bankrupt, right? Wow 
pretty right, you know, pretty quickly into the recession, 2008, maybe 2009, done. I mean, empty streets and that was the end of that. So there goes my tenants and it just, you know, for, for probably two or three years there, it just kind of trickled along. You know, we'd have 12 move-ins one month and 11 move-outs. And then the next month was 14 move-ins, 15 move-outs and... <laughs> It just yeah. kept fluctuating that way and just could not seem to get past the, you know, our numbers were at 45 to 50%. We'd at least be covering the, the payment, you know, the overhead. Yeah. And it was just, you know, floundering around that, that mark for a long time and thinking, what's it going to take to push us over the edge, you know? So that was, it was not all... <laughs> Like it, like uh, we thought it was going to be for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you, what's Go that? Ahead. Go ahead. No, well, you know, I, I know your story, but you know, but um, you went from there, you know, your, your self storage facilities just kind of barely limping along. So you decided to, you know, to just dig down and, and, you know, uh, work harder and, and build more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a, it was like a, a, a perfect storm that all happened right around there. And, you know, this is even before things got, got really bad as we made the decision, we had an opportunity to move our family to Costa Rica in 2008. And we had already kind of decided we were done with the building part, spec houses and all that. And it wasn't even, you know, the writing wasn't really on the wall so clear in 2007. It just felt off to me, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of other people were in the business now and bidding on the same jobs and, you know, just kind of getting that awkward, you know, everybody's in this now, everybody thinks it's a great way to make a lot of money. And so yeah. the market was very crowded and, you know, I'm, I'm the type of personality that if everybody's doing something, I, I usually would just go the other way, just out of principle. Yeah. <laughs> not even if it's smart or not, I just feel like, yeah, this is too, this is too crowded. I'll, I'll do something else. And so we had an opportunity to go to Costa Rica and we ended up selling our house after we moved. We moved before it was sold and we moved down there, ended up being down there for a year and a half selling the stuff we had back in the States. And um, it was the summer of 2008. We had a buyer come along for two small commercial buildings that we owned, a, a, a warehouse and a little office building. And like little, I'm saying, you know, literally 2,800 square feet, maybe 3,000 square feet, four small suites. We had a buyer that came along for that, which was just amazing. You know, it was really uh, eleven fifty nine in the in the economy, and this guy had a ten thirty one and had to had to find something to buy and bought it, and um, we were tickled to sell it. So that really was the cash that helped us kind of get through the next few years feeding the storage habit and and uh, ended up doing something else. So at this point, it was 2009 and it was pretty obvious that, you know, there wasn't a lot. To, things were trailing behind the, the United States. Our, our The people that were buying property in Costa Rica were from the U.S. or Canada. And by that time, by 2009, no one was buying down there. And so the job I'd moved down there for was was you know, getting much slower and the writing was on the wall there that this isn't going to last forever. So, so we made it another bold decision. We had some cash from the sale of the, the two office buildings and, you know, we saved some cash to, to protect us with the storage. We decided let's keep the storage, let's sell everything else, liquidate and ended up, we, we ended up traveling abroad for another three years by a sailboat. Wow. So, <laughs> Well, we would love to, at some point, we're going to have you back on the show. Uh, we have what we're going to call detour episodes where we, you know, interview people, not really regards to real estate. And uh, we'll have you back on and get a little more detail on uh, some of your adventures, but. Okay, perfect. <laughs> all right. So with all this, what is, what's your destination with real estate investing? Where is this? 
So yeah, so we'll 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 bracket the uh, the sailboat years there and uh, fast forward to 2000, uh, basically 2013. We came back to the United States. We were we were gone almost five years altogether and decided to relocate to Wilmington, North Carolina. Still had the storage in Arizona, which by now was generating a little cash flow, you know, maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred a month, which was great. But we were still bush banking it all just to have a buffer there. So then we got to Wilmington, North Carolina, just basically started over. You know, we didn't know anyone. We literally sailed here. So uh, had no house, had no job and just started over. So, you know, trying to get plugged into the local RIA meeting, meeting people, making contacts and trying to decide what was next. And and to be honest, you know, spent it was the the resettling or re-entering the society or what have you is was was as every bit as challenging as the sailboat uh if not more so it was very it was a dark couple of years there for me you know the sail adventure was over it was kind of back to reality I, I would have preferred to keep traveling but you know of course our kids were older they wanted to get plugged back in and all those kinds of things so it was it was a lot of unknowns there and and I really didn't know what what to do I didn't feel like I had the contacts to start over in construction again. The, the economy was just starting to come back to life here. And so it wasn't like you could just go throw up a spec and, and feel like you're going to sell it. So, you know, we spent quite a bit of time. I looked at doing, starting a landscape company. I used to be a chimney sweep in a, a previous life. So I thought maybe I can do that here. You know, I printed cards for all these businesses that, that I never even started. And uh, after about a year of that, I said, uh, I just got to go back to construction. It's what I know. And we actually put the nail bags on. My son and I and my son-in-law just started picking up whatever we could find, you know, framing jobs or renovation jobs, just, you know, kind of started back from scratch and trying to make a living. So that was a, that was a tough time. It wasn't until probably 2014 that we decided, you know, we felt like the economy was strong enough and uh, things were starting to look up that we started actually buying our own properties and, you know, through hard money loans or whatever you, you know, whatever options are available when you're, when you're starting back out. And then we had a rental house and then we ended up buying a triplex that we renovated and used for Airbnb. So we did that for another couple of years. And then it was 2016 when we, you know, we were all working hard, same kind of thing, you know, framing and doing the remodeling ourselves. You know, we were actually out there pounding the nails, putting the roof on, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, I just, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm 45 or 44, whatever it was at the time. And I thought there's got to be an easier way. And by this time, now 2014, the storage in Arizona was doing well. And finally had turned the corner. I thought, you know, felt like we were in a good place. And I said, let's, let's look at the option of doing more storage. That's when we, we came across the building here that we converted. It was a warehouse, a printing warehouse, and then we converted it to storage and then uh, leveraged that and we're able to do another storage. So we actually have two storage properties here and still the one in Arizona. So does that answer the question? Or what was the question again? The goal? <laughs> yeah. What, what, so what you're, you're accumulating property. What's yes. the goal? <laughs> the goal is, okay, good. So the goal is more residual income, obviously really the direction we want to go. We, we have a lot of different hats and in irons in the fire, we have a construction company that I'm still mostly involved with. That's my 30 hours a week is in a construction company, but we use that to build houses that we're going to keep as rentals or what have you. We want to continue with storage. You know, now my kids are older. I've got a 23 year old and a 24 year old and I've got an 18 year old. And so, you know, we just want to keep building kind of a, a family empire. You know, we'd love to 
keep, you know, as whatever kids want to work in the business, I'd love to have them. I think it's a great avenue for them to, to be able to invest their money. They kind of see what we've been able to do and, and want to get in on some of that. And I'm happy to help. And we just want to build something together. And I think the goal is that we all have something that obviously Rachel and I can pass down, but that the kids can work in and build their own residual income and their own passive properties, whether it's apartments or single family homes or what have you. So yeah, that's the kind of the direction we're heading. I love that you um, you use the term residual income, it's sort of what I prefer to call it over so many people call it passive income. And right. And then that gets kind of a dirty word because it's, you know, the word all the gurus use and, <laughs> and it's not, most of it's not completely passive, but right. what I like about it is what the way I think of it is that it's, it's something that continues to pay you long after you've put in the work right. to get it going. Yeah. Now, it may, it may still require some continued work, but that work is more along the lines of blowing on the hot coals as opposed to start trying to get the fire started. Does that yeah. make sense? F- fantastic analogy there. Yeah. And, and yeah. passive does sound too good to be true or too easy. <laughs> and, and eventually, I mean, in my mind, passive income is still down the road for us. We're still pretty involved in the, in the different businesses, but it is residual and it's getting more so as we go. So that the, the, the amount you get paid is not proportional to the amount that you work. And that's what you want. You know, you want to get paid more than you work. And I th- it, I've always been, I've always tried to just as soon as we finish one project or one investment to just redeploy that money as quick as possible into, into the next thing. Sometimes to a fault where you find the next thing before you're done with this thing and, and that leaves you strapped for cash and all, you know, trying to keep that balance. But definitely no money is sitting around doing nothing. You know, everything's back out into something. Yeah. You said you've, so you've got the 30s, 30 hours a week that you're working on sort of more your construction company. How Mm -hmm. much other time are you spending on your real estate endeavors? The storage, um, I have a manager that manages the property in Arizona. She's been there for uh, 11 years. She's fantastic. She just handles everything there, collecting the rents. You know, I don't do anything day to day there. Um, I just came back from a trip there. I make about one trip a year there and then probably involved three or four hours a month, I would say, you know, just kind of answering questions, oversight, that kind of thing. Properties here a little more so. I've got a manager here that does both properties and it's we office in part of one of the buildings. So it's, you know, we see it every day, but it's not, I would say maybe 10 hours a month on the storages here. So that's, you know, we don't, we don't, I'm not really sure which direction to go with the construction company because that is a bulk of my time and probably, you know, maybe 20% of my income. You know, the 80-20 rule is, is not working in my favor right now. <laughs> But I, I recognize it. You know, I, I know at some point it's going to be handing off the business to my son and, you know, maybe son-in-law and they can they can kind of take it. And I maybe I'll take a back seat and just be an investor and yeah. find the property and, and finance the spec and they build, they go build it. They call the subs and, and do all that kind of thing. So that's the direction I think we're heading. It's, a, you know, a, a, a contracting company can be a great vehicle to have to keep in my mind. That's our, that's still our track one, right? That's our, mm. our daily, uh, you know, punching the clock, if you will. But we try to take whatever cash we make out of that and, and push it onto track two. Track two is all of our long-term as for, for now residual. And at some point, long, long-term, we don't know what, what's, what's going to happen in 10 or 15 years, but maybe we'll 1031 into do a 1031 exchange into uh, like a, a triple net lease property. If, mm-hmm. uh, if you're familiar with that whole process, or do you want me to, you want me to hit on those? Yeah, I, I understand. But Brittany's <laughs> okay. Okay. So 
in, in real estate, you're, you're able to do what's called a 1031 exchange. And that's just the, the section of the IRS code that's, you know, section 1031. Basically, you could sell any, any asset and, and trade it for like kind. So investment property, you can sell it and buy another investment property. It could be, you could sell a storage and you can buy an apartment building. You can buy, you can sell a, a residential rental and buy a laundromat. It really is pretty wide open. Uh, but the, the advantage of it is any, any gains you make on the sale is going into the next property and you're not going to pay capital gains tax on that, on that transition or that transaction. So, and then, you know, of course, kind of what a lot of real, uh, real estate people will say is the, the holy grail of, of real estate is what they call a triple net lease where, you know, the example everybody uses the Walgreens or maybe a grocery store, some fast food restaurants, Taco Bell or what have you. They, they don't own their buildings. Investors own the buildings, but they sign a long-term lease for maybe 20, 25 years where they're responsible for maintenance, upkeep, air conditioning, break, property taxes, insurance, basically everything but the note. And they're committed to a long-term lease and you've got a strong tenant, like uh, an operator of a Taco Bell, maybe he owns 20 franchises and, and he's your tenant. So you, you've got a pretty strong tenant there and it's literally, you pay the mortgage note and you get a check, or I guess the other way around, you get the, <laughs> you get the check. You get the check, you pay the mortgage, and it's it's literally, you know, that is in my mind, that's passive income. Yeah. You don't even yeah. all you do is log on to your phone and, and and make sure the deposit happened and the payment was sent and that's it. I mean, that's oh, yeah. as easy as it gets. <laughs> so I'm not there yet. You know, who knows, maybe that'll be some someday down the road. Yeah. Thank you so much for explaining that. I think one of the things that we want to do with this uh, with this podcast is to help educate people who maybe aren't in the spot that you're in or my husband is in. And I'm still sort of learning and right. haven't been as much a, um, a full partner in the, pro- uh, like the process sure. until now. Absolutely. It's, it's well, it's, you know, I mean, that's, that's all of us. We're all learning. You know, I think it's just important to just keep learning. I mean, that's something I've always, I've always tried to impress on my kids and myself is just, you can't stop learning, you know, cause there's, there's so much knowledge to gain, first of all, but then there's so much, so many things changing all the time as well. So um, I just finished a, a, a tax book, you know, an audio book the, this past week, just maybe it's something I, I haven't, heard, haven't heard of. I learned a ton from, uh, from the book, you know, and, and I listen to a lot of podcasts as well. And there's so much knowledge out there that it's nobody's further along the road. You know, it's just a matter of what, you know, it's, it's not, it's just a matter of keep, keep filling yourself with that knowledge. It's great. What's the tax book so we can put it in the show notes for everyone who wants to? Um, it was Tax-Free Wealth, Tom Wheelwright. Uh, it's part of the Rich Dad series. Awesome. All right. We'll put that in the show notes. Yep. Sure. Well, let's talk, uh, let's talk education. You know, when you, uh, you sort of learned real estate organically, sort of being a, a general contractor and things like that. But once you decided to go into storage, how did you get yourself educated on that niche? So what, we, uh, what I started out doing was my wife and I went to Miami to a trade show. Um, I think it was Inside Self Storage and they're twice a year or once a year. And there's another one, Self Storage Association, which is in uh, Vegas where you guys are at. Went there, just kind of a crash course, met vendors, looked at doors, styles. And, you know, of course, there's there's some breakout sessions for new owners and just kind of kind of dove in and try to figure out what what is this industry about? and what's the pros and cons and all that kind of thing. So that was our first step. Awesome. 
Is there anything else that you're doing to, to continue to educate yourself or any favorite books or podcasts you want to recommend? I listen to a lot of bigger pockets. I listen to Joe Fairless, best real estate ever, best ever, best ever real estate <laughs> podcast. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great information out there. So those, those two are probably most consistent. Gotcha. Great. We already sort of talked about how much time your endeavors take each week, but are there any sort of systems that you've maybe developed to kind of leverage your time and remove yourself from the process? Well, that's, that's a great question. That's kind of where I'm at right now is how to kind of get other team people in here to kind of let me free up a little bit. I'm really trying to hone in on what my strengths are. Um, I really like finding the deal, crunching the numbers, trying to see what maybe other people missed and opportunities to add value to an existing property that might be underperforming or might never be used in the right way at all. And that's really fun for me and and trying to just look at things creatively. I don't like the bookkeeping part of things. I've, I'm doing it right now, but I don't like it. You know, I really like just putting the pieces together and then setting it in motion and then kind of letting it, letting somebody else finish it. I'm a starter, yeah. not the, not the finisher upper. <laughs> I, I hear you. That makes sense. <laughs> totally. So you recently hired, you said that you recently hired a manager to manage your, I know you had the manager in Arizona, correct? Correct. Managers in both. And now you, so how did you, how did you go about selecting them? So both of them just kind of came to us. We didn't advertise for it. The The person in Arizona was, it was a situation she had never done storage before. And she learned it, you know, along with me, really. I sent her to some seminars and gave her some resources, websites to, to, to uh, learn. And she's learned kind of on the job, you know, as we've, as as we've gone. And now she's fantastic. You know, I would have no question, no trust, 100%, no doubt that she's um, looking out for our best interest and, and just a great manager. So so the, the guy we've got for here um, is actually a family friend and he was looking to make a career change. We had lunch one day. Our, our wives are really close friends and the four of us went out for lunch and we thought, you know, they said, we want to talk to you about your business. I thought he wanted to invest and maybe do some finance, some spec houses or something. And, and we had the lunch and, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to leave the company I'm at and just wonder if he had a spot for me. Totally caught me off guard. You know, <laughs> we drove away, we drove away from the lunch thinking, man, that is not the way I thought that was going to go at all. And I'm, I was all ready to pitch him like returns and how much percentage I could pay and all this kind of stuff. And so I thought about it for a, maybe a week or so. And I thought, yeah, he's looking for a job and we're probably going to be looking for a manager. I bet it would be a great fit. I think his personality would be perfect for, for what we need. And so I, we came back to him and said, what, what do you think about this? You'll office here and you'll run these two storages. And the same thing. He'd never done storage before. He's got a background in accounting and marketing and done a lot of different things. He just finished work as a, like an ocean tech, you know, on, on a boat where they monitor depths of the channels and sounds and all that kind of thing on the East Coast. So it was totally different for him, but but he was away from home a lot, and that's what he wanted to, to fix. So we we brought him in, kind of turned it over to him. I, I I figured it's easier to just. I mean, I'm not a great manager. I recognize that. I'm I'm actually a terrible storage manager. So there wasn't a lot for me to to teach him about it. So I let him kind of go. I, I put him in the place, and then we actually already had a trip planned. So we closed on our second property here. He started shortly thereafter, and then we actually already had a trip planned for two weeks later. And we huh. were out of the country to Southeast Asia for the next three months. So I figured, well, <laughs> trial by this could fire. go. This could go two ways here. <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, it, you know, it, was, it wasn't a, never a trust issue. And he's a great think on his feet uh, person, and just dove in. And I said, you know, here's I just laid out some real. I think I gave him three goals. I said I'd love to see, you know, when we inherited one of the properties, there was a high number of delinquencies and people oh. not paying. That was one of his tasks: is is whittle these delinquencies down, try to get this other property to X number of percent. I don't. We're on lease up, so I don't remember. Take it from thirty to. 45% or whatever the numbers were. And, and he did fantastic. We were available by email and I think he contacted us three or four times in three months. So wow. it was pretty, pretty minor. Uh, you know, he figured a lot of stuff out on his own. He's a researcher guy. So he dove in and, and learned the software. I brought my manager from Arizona here when he started and we spent two or three days together just kind of crash course. Here's how you, you know, move somebody in, transfer them to another unit, you know, move them out, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and then that was it. So I said, here's the, here's the sheriff's hat. You're in charge. (laughs) So hire your friends. That's lesson. Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I could go, it could go both ways, I guess, but we've been very blessed and and fortunate. We've got some great people. And, And I think anybody will say that, you know, the difference of course, in any businesses is your people, you know, you hire great people and that's, and just let them, let them do their thing. I'm not a micromanager. It's just, I just don't have the energy to, you know, do my job and yours. So yeah. I, I just assume turn it over to you. Of course, there's going to be glitches, just plan for that. And, and there'll be things that you would have done differently, but that's okay too. You know, I mean, it's just, I like to give them ownership of their position. That's yeah. awesome. Moving away from that, um, so right now you have properties in Wilmington where you live and then you've got the the property in Arizona. Do you plan to do any more long distance investing? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of opportunities here. Last year we bought a an apartment building just outside of Wilmington. It's up in uh, another county, Pender County, um, in a town called Hampstead. And it's we bought it with it under a syndication, which is a, like a partnership for one specific project is a is a good way to describe a, a syndication. And so we we kind of dabbled with that. I wanted to try it because we'd eventually like to, to do syndication on self-storage and do some more projects, bigger projects maybe. And I think there's just a lot of growth happening here. If I didn't have the manager I have in Arizona, I would definitely consider probably selling that property and and you know exchanging it for one closer to home I mean I know a lot of people are are all about the state investing and all that but I think there's a lot of opportunity right in most people's backyard awesome it's great so what do you think is the most critical skill for someone who's entering the self-storage market to develop in themselves to master that niche oh that's a good question I mean, from my experience, I guess I would have to say flexibility because things don't always go according to plan. And I think you have to be willing to, you know, pivot or change directions if need be. Um, I think that would probably be it because there's always something else to learn, something else to that didn't go according to plan. And uh, just being able to adapt, I think, is is probably pretty helpful. So if you could hit a magic reset button and go back in time to start your investment journey over again, is there anything that you feel like you would do differently? Any systems you might have put into place or anything else? Well, that's a hard question. <laughs> that's a hard question. I guess, I guess it's a good question because you, you, I mean, you hopefully you learned some lessons back, you know, from what you could have done differently to go forward. Don't typically look backwards too much. You know, it's more like where, here's where we're at now and where are we going? I'm pretty happy. I think we, we've taken some big risks personally and, and in business and um, have been really fortunate that they've, that they've come, you know, through like we hoped they would. So I, I suppose I would maybe not take as many 
as bigger risks. Uh, <laughs> just so fewer sleepless nights, I suppose. But then on the flip side, of course, you then you wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be where we are. So it's it's hard yeah. to say. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Probably not too well. No, that's great. <laughs> great answer. So I want you to imagine that you're standing in a room full, in front of a room full of aspiring real estate investors, primarily people, you know, who have a job and families and maybe they're constrained on time and uh, they haven't done their first deal or things like that. What sort of, what strategies uh, would you suggest for them? That's good. That's, um, I've got a, a close friend that is just making the transition from a day job to full-time investor. We talked quite a bit and uh, I think education is huge. You know, just becoming familiar with the, the business as a whole and all of the terminology and just any, any time you can devote to, to learning the pieces, I think is a great, is, is great, you know, inspiration as well as education. You know, things like Bigger Pockets, you hear a lot of episodes about people that started with nothing and built 30 rentals or 50 rentals or whatever. And, and it's still possible. I think real estate is still a, an amazing vehicle, except for maybe if you're super lucky with a dot-com, you know, a tech business. I just don't know of any other way you can build wealth besides real estate, you know, as, as quickly and as, you know, creatively. That's one of the things I love about real estate is there's so many different avenues about it. You know, residential rentals, apartments, storage, leasing, you know, there's so many ways to do it. And um, so I would, I would encourage somebody to educate themselves and then to start small, try to get some partners together to maybe go in on a rental house or a fix and flip. And then you've got some cash Then you don't need, you know, maybe you, you bring in three partners and then you can, you know, the next one you can do one partner and then you're doing one on your own. And it's so hard, I think, to get the first step, you know, and, and I would just encourage people to take whatever step they can to make that first step. And then, then you get momentum. You know, you see, you close the deal, you made five grand on top of your investment and hey, it worked. So now it's a matter of scale. So you know you know what you did and and now you can do it again and then if you want you can go bigger and then you can more more of them or whatever whatever the case is so yeah. um, it's it's I know it's really really hard to stand at the edge of the cliff and take that first step you know on the trail but it, that's education and the first step awesome wise words and I absolutely agree <laughs> <laughs> all right. We didn't really talk about your your traveling, but it um, you have recently written a book about your your family travels. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So it's an ebook that I wrote with my daughter Maggie, and um, it's just steps to take your family traveling. It's not it, it's a great little read. It's just kind of some bullet points. We looked back on what we did to kind of the steps we took to take our family traveling. And I know there's a lot of people that would love to do that. And so that's, it's just kind of a bullet point thing of what we did. Awesome. And I'll, I'll be happy to give you the link for that. You can put it in the show notes. Yep. We sure will. Yeah. And I've actually read it. It's a great read. Um, oh, good. You know, it's more, it's not, um, uh, it's different from someone, hey, you're going to take your family traveling for a week. It's how, how are you going to, the steps you're going to take to take your family traveling for a long period of time. <laughs> yeah. Great. yeah, true. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. And you, I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of badger you here for a second. Eric also used to host a fantastic podcast called the family adventure podcast. Um, and it's on hiatus. I like, I prefer to call it on hiatus. I'm gonna, <laughs> That's right. I'm going to try and get, uh, try and talk Eric into 
and to getting it back going. So I know, I know. We've after the trip to Asia, we've we've had a few false starts. We thought we were ready to get to dive back in, and it's just I think it's one of those things for us right now. It's just one thing too many. Yeah. Uh, we loved doing it. I mean, we we finished 150 episodes, which was kind of our goal, and uh, we did that. It was kind of the the, the book Jay Papasan and, and Gary Williams, Gary Keller, Keller Williams Real Estate, the one thing, mm-hmm. and it's a great read. I, you might put that in the show notes as well. It really helps you focus on where you're going and and is this contributing to my one thing and it, and it came down to the podcast just wasn't wasn't part of the one thing so yeah and you gotta get those that's where it in went place and yeah and outsource right. the things you uh you don't want to be doing so that you can get back on it and that's right yeah. dance monkey dance <laughs> that's right <laughs> it was fun met a lot of fantastic people as i'm sure you guys will on your podcast yeah. journey met some great people all over the world and uh, it was really fun to meet up with a few people in Asia that we'd had on the show and then get to meet them in person. And that was, uh, that was pretty special. Yeah. I still curse your name for introducing me to uh, Sailing La Vagabond. <laughs> I know. I had to quit watching it. I just can't do it. It's just. No. Every yeah. time Neil starts, I'm like, no, we're not doing that. No. <laughs> No. I know, I, I, but whether or not you do it, it's still, it's like, just the fact that you know there's people out there doing that puts me in a bad mood. Insanity. Yeah. Insanity. <laughs> that's yeah. actually totally true. I actually have. I know. Sometimes myself, I know. I know. That's why I had to quit. Yeah. I'm like, I'm ha- I'm like, this is really amazing, but it's actually putting me in a really crappy mood. I know. I know. I know. I know exactly. So I'm happy they're out there. I don't yeah. wish them any ill will. I think that's fantastic, but yeah, it's better that I know they're not there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's plan our own trip yes that's it there you go yeah well listen eric it's been so great having you uh we always love talking to you if any of our guests want to reach out to you what's the best way they can reach you uh let's see i guess the best way is familyadventurepodcast.com is a website or we're building our i mean if they need storage they can always go to our storage website no i'm just kidding but if we uh we're getting our uh, construction page up uh elmbuilders.com is our construction company and it was started when we had three kids, Emma, Levi, and Maggie. So that's what the Elm is for. And wow, uh, it's right. just elmbuilders.com. It's, it's, we're getting that thing up shortly. And so people can always go there, see our projects, see what we're doing. There you go. Awesome. All right. We'll put it in yeah. the show notes. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's been, been great talking to you. Yeah. yeah great so talking to you guys. It. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, best of luck. I know you're going to do well. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks All so right. Much. Cheers. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels. <laughs>